What's up, Craig? Said it nice and loud so you can hear that next time. Uh, <laughs> you uh, you have figured me out, good sir. Hello and uh, welcome to this week's uh, episode of uh, Juicing the Big Screen, your your movie review and discussion podcast. I am I am one of your critics, Joshua Tracy, and I'm one of your fans, Corbin Heller. Uh, and and I always laughed at the beginning. If you don't listen to our other show and you feel like listening to some sports talk, check out Choosing the Numbers. But I laugh because my intro to Choosing the Numbers, which is the older of the shows, um, it hence the relatively odd name for this show, <laughs> um, is exactly the same as how I intro this show. And I cannot break that habit. And I can't help but feel like a fraud every time. I can't help but feel like I'm making my own diet version of Choosing the Numbers when I do my intro for this. But that's not the point. I was um, hanging out at a friend's house yesterday and they had asked me like, oh, what's the name of the new movie podcast you do? And I was like, oh, it's juicing the. Actually, I'm not confident that it is. I honestly don't know for sure because it is so similar. It sounds wrong. Yeah, like I have to when I put the emails in the um, descriptions to these shows, I really stare at them for like a good 30 seconds making sure it's the right show because i can't always remember to make it the right one but anyway um and i refuse to take responsibility for that it is not your job (laughs) all right we're talking about the 2011 picture a separation and the 2008 film doubt corwin where do you want to start uh let's talk about a separation because that is drastically fresher in my mind all right um all right then we're going to iran to start this episode uh 2011's a separation as i said an iranian film written and directed by asgar farhadi um his most recent film actually is it his most recent film i was gonna say um a salesman the salesman um so the salesman is his second most recent film anyway if you recognize if you perhaps i should say recognize the name he was in the news a lot um he was nominated for an oscar at the time when the salesman won an oscar during the um muslim travel ban so if the name asgar farhadi sounds familiar that's why um it stars payment mahdi leela hatami and sareh bayat um it had an estimated budget of $500,000. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. That's cool. impressive. And a cumulative worldwide gross of $23 million, um, which is, as we say in the biz, a success. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, um, its tagline is lies may lead to truth. Uh, it won one Oscar on the back of two nominations. It won for Best Foreign Language Film of the Year, uh, and it was also nominated for Best Writing Original Screenplay for Asghar Fahadi. It is about a married couple as they are faced with a difficult decision to improve the life of their child who, by moving to another country or to stay in Iran and look after a deteriorating parent who has Alzheimer's disease. Um, this was my pick, so I will start, um, as I feel like I say at the beginning of every one of my uh, own pick reviews. I love this movie. Um, it's such an interesting movie because based on the title and based on that description, you would assume this is 
centered around a divorce, and it is not. Um, it is backdropped by a divorce, which makes it honestly much more interesting. In part because I think we've all seen divorce stories. Mm-hmm. I, I reference Kramer versus Kramer a lot whenever we talk about divorce because, in my mind, it's like the the ultimate picture of divorce on screen. Um, at least when you're story because I've seen that one. Okay. Um, anyway, I don't. I don't like Marriage Story. We'll, 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 we'll like marriage Story. Well, yeah, I don't like Marriage Story. I think it's a bad movie. But anyway, um, and. So to to really beat that hammer, I mean to beat that nail, like it it doing that is fine. There's nothing wrong with con- with you know telling a, a familiar story in multiple ways. I mean that's literally how literary um, mediums work. You find new ways of telling the same stories. But to have the personality inquiries and the reflection reflections upon self that come with a marriage uh, ending be the backdrop of the film something that kind of tonally underscores a lot of the decisions and conversations and not be the central part of the film in terms of plot makes this such an interesting watch because this movie is mostly about plot in terms of how it navigates its way through the story. It's not so much about argument between a married couple. It's not so much about you're a dick for leaving me or you're a dick for staying or whatever. Those conversations all happen, but they're sprinkled around a much, <laughs> a, a, a plot you really don't see coming, um, which also adds to a lot of the, in my opinion, like, like the, the, the pull and the grip of this film, because it doesn't warn you where it's going to go. And when it, you finally get there, and we're going to get into it, I'm just trying to to save some of these conversational points for later. Um, it it it's so unexpected the right. where this plot decides to go, um, and it's so interesting, and to have the the divorce continuously being brought up in the background, being brought to the foreground, being pushed to the background. And, and in addition to all the other small bits that you get from just that description, like the the father with Alzheimer's, it paints such an interesting picture. Um, and I think allows for this film to have so much room, so much emotional depth, um, and allows you to see how some of these choices that you might be able to paint with the broad brush of human irrationality or extrapolate based on how you would expect a divorce to go to really have meaning based on the direct emotional response that these actors are having to the plot points. Um, it, oh, I think it's so brilliantly done. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'll pass it off to you. This was nothing that I expected to, like, like you said, the way this film started has almost nothing to do with how it ends up finishing, or even the main body ends up being uh, filled by. This was not a divorce story, like you said. This was not a, you know, dilemma of family in the sense of what is best for their daughter, like, again, the description says. Partially so, absolutely. But this ends up being like a mystery 
fucking crime thriller. And I just, it came out of nowhere. And it was a point where, you know, I watched this this morning because of how hectic my week has been. I just didn't have time to watch it leading up to today. Um, and I was trying to work on the Adam Gay stuff for the Juicing the Numbers podcast. And I kind of had my laptop open during and was working on that. And then I'm like listening to the story, reading through the subtitles, everything. And then, goddamn, I just closed my laptop and said, I'll just do this later. This is way too interesting and important to do anything else. It just dragged me in the way oftentimes a lot of foreign films don't just for the sole reason of, you know, not having a complete picture because you are, you know, spending so much time breaking down subtitles and, you know, you miss out on little things of, uh, you know, the acting or the tone, not even the tone, but you do have to spend so much time breaking down a foreign language by reading through it. Um, you don't always get the, the best understanding that you would if it was in your natural language. But this was different, and this just sucked me in. It has such a well-developed story. Writing-wise, it was so well done. Um, and I just, I, I agree with you. I love this. This is fantastic. Um, and, I- and it really developed into being, wow, this guy is doing so much for his family. His wife just cannot accept that he's there to care for his father and that's important to him and it developed into wow all of these people are bad and (laughs) it's it's just not great and wow it just it was such a a well done movie yeah i i i I was thinking a lot about um my last pick with on sandy from last week versus this in terms of the the information the speed at which information is revealed and discussed and i described last week with ansandi as being this really impressive slow drip that maintained its intrigue the whole way through and this was like the opposite this was a constant outpour of discussion and detail and and reveling in whatever the hell was being um shown or demonstrated in this one who knew what um, uh, who knew what, when, uh, ev- ev- like a, a constant outpouring of details throughout and it never got tiresome and, there, like, and the, and the, the details were never like huge, crazy twists where you go, that wouldn't happen because all of it makes sense. All of it Absolutely. fit. That, that was one of the biggest things for me where, you know, this guy is lying about the events of a crime, essentially and lying about, you know, the information he was privy to and, you know, what he understood about the situation. And it's like, man, you don't have to do it. Like, it's not necessary. But, like, goddamn, thinking on it, that's exactly what I would do. There's no way I would do anything different. Of course I'm going to lie when, you know, it's at a point where my life is uh, on edge and risk of being destroyed completely. When you know in your heart of hearts whatever it may be that that's just how it is you know you have to so Um, i guess shall we should we get into the plot a little bit yeah absolutely go ahead all right so the movie starts with um the husband and wife duo and let me get their names up in front of me because i can get refer to them by something since i'm bad with names um 
uh, Nader and Simin. Simin. Simin's probably closer. Anyway, um, and they're like, they they are in front of a judge, one would assume anyway, talking about why they're getting a divorce. And Simin is like saying, you know, I want to leave the country for a better life for my daughter. We have more uh, ability to to grow as a family, be safe as a family, all those types of things, being somewhere else, and he doesn't want to go. And he's willing to divorce me to do it. And uh, Nader is like, or Nadir, I think Nader, it's an A, um, is, is like, I have to be here to take care of my father. There's no one here to take care of my father. I don't have this, like, he has Alzheimer's. Like, he can't take care of himself. I'm not just going to abandon my dad. And he was like, I don't want her to leave, and I don't want a divorce. But he's like, but I also don't want to tell her she can't leave. So if she wants to go, she can go. And if she wants to divorce me to do it, she can do it. Um, but I don't necessarily want the divorce. And it's like this whole big conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry Her to get statement, by the way of he has huh? Alzheimer's. He doesn't even know you're his son. Why not just leave him was just like out the gates was just stood out like a, an elephant in the room. Like that is one of the most awful things I've ever heard someone say about their significant other like that is heartless and callous and un i could not believe i heard them say that yeah you know it is a, it's a very blunt picture in a lot of uh, at a lot of points i mean yeah yeah and made more blunt by the fact that they are at several points staring down the camera while saying this mm-hmm. which really is it was un- it was jarring. It's a un- like, and anytime at the end one speaks down the camera, it's it's kind of like ugh. But to have them be like speaking down the camera about something so insanely personal was really just like an extra layer of uh, like ugh. I don't know. It was no, odd. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. So. That really sets the tone that you'd be going into the film kind of expecting. Like, this is about a separation. This is about a divorce. This is this is how we're starting. You know, like, let's get into the divorce. Um, then it gets in, and, you know, you see the dad with Alzheimer's, and, you know, they're trying to hire a babysitter, basically. That's a bad word. Caregiver. It's a better word. Hi- trying to hire a caregiver. Um, and they meet this woman, Raja. And at some point, Nader has to go. He has to go to work. And Raja gets left alone. And a lot of stuff starts happening. But the main catalyst comes about, I don't know, 30 minutes in. Raja leaves to go to a place, well, to go see a doctor, but Nader doesn't know that. And <laughs> she tied his dad to, a, to his bed, left him there unsupervised, locked the doors behind her so that he couldn't leave, and when Nader comes back, uh, dad's on the ground, he's like, not doing well, they damn near have to resuscitate him, and it becomes a whole big thing, Nader, like, shoves Raja out of his apartment, or house, I think it was more like a condo, um, because he just, like, can't bear to look at her, she falls, so she claims, and this ends up resulting in a miscarriage. Because apparently, you learn, uh, she actually, they do reveal it a little bit earlier on. She's pregnant. And this becomes what the movie is now going to spend most of the next hour 15 about. What happened? 
that caused this miscarriage. And who knew what about this miscarriage, about the baby, and when did they know it? And who's telling the truth? Because Raja goes and files a complaint with the law body in Iran saying that this man, Nader, killed my child. And the police hold on to Nader because he is accused of murder. And that is what we spend a lot of this movie on. And to get there from the opening scene of Divorce, which again, as I said, is very much so a part of this film. Constant discussions about whether Samin is coming back or not, and she's staying or not, leaving or not, where, what the kid's going to do, arguments over their parenting styles, all those things come into play. But mm-hmm. the conversation around who knew what and how did this uh, unborn fetus die? Because I guess that is the, the, more so the way the Iranian government perceives it. Um, that becomes the movie. And that is just, as we said when we opened, not where you expect this to go. Of course. And wow, it's just hard to view this. It's just, it really just comes down to the fact that everyone involved is awful. And, oh, it's just, it's so difficult to, you know, go back and look through everything. And it's just, oh, God, like, everyone is awful. That's really what it comes down to for me. Just how awful everyone involved in this is. And so I can't get behind the, the choices that they make and what they're willing to do to everyone else involved and the situations they're willing to put everyone else in because of this. So let, let's talk about why you feel that way. Cause I am very interested in this opinion. Um, yeah. Let's, I guess, start with, I think who, some of our most easily contemptible characters are. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's, I guess in that vein, then let's start with Raja. Um, What do you think about her? This is for reference. If you're bad with names, like I am uh, the caregiver that um, miscarried her child. What do, why do you think she is a bad person? Uh, Because she is willing to go through and uh, ruin this man's life. Because she's in a sticky financial situation. And my goodness, that's, you know, I, I, I don't know how you can defend that. You know, like, earlier on, it's like, man, like, this is awful. She lost her child. She did. But now looking back, it's, it's just, I have a very hard time being able to condone what she did because of the fact that she knew about this the entire time and knew this was clearly not his fault solely. Sure, he pushed you and, you know, you were hurt. I will completely agree that that is worthy of um 
kind of a, a, a discussion reparations at the same time, you know, that's brutal. And now she doesn't go through with it. Obviously like that's part of the storyline and the narrative is, you know, her religious and moral compass prevent her from doing so, but it's not exactly a, 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 a good thing to do. If, uh, if that's the best way I could word that. Yeah. I, I think Raja is far and away the villain of this movie. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. They the- kind of make it out for her husband to be. I think it's her. Oh my God. She's the worst because she lied and dragged this film or the characters within the, with, with, um, within this film down with her to no one's ultimate benefit. Um, she, cause if, cause that's the thing. I don't even think it was financial. Really? She, she, she still could have sued somebody with the car thing. Don't right. Um, uh, I imagine in a perfect world, absolutely. And, and even in Iran, then, I don't know how well that would have been uh, well done, how, how effective that would be. Because I, well, what I, I thought she had put, so she ends up, um, one, a scene that, that uh, just prior to the dad being tied up to the bed, not just prior, but prior to, uh, showed the the dad had wandered out of the house because Raja didn't lock the door and wasn't watching him um, like she is hired to do. And mm-hmm. she had to go chase him down. He was across the street and then it cut away. And it gets revealed like an hour and a half, hour 45 into the movie that when Raja crossed the street to go get him before he wandered into traffic, because again, Alzheimer's, um, she got hit by a car. And this whole time, they were arguing about whether or not uh, Nader pushed her or hit her or caused this miscarriage in some way. And she was concealing the fact that she was hit by a fucking car and then had pains throughout the night that were likely related to her losing her child. Mm -hmm. And so I read the lying about that to be more a deflection away from her taking blame um because this is iran um and especially in 2011 uh it is very very slowly improving um ugh, i even struggle to say that but the the culture around women and preg- women's autonomy in general and then especially when it comes to pregnancy is very dicey mm-hmm. and i i read it more as her having a figure to blame which was this guy right here more so than that car very far from where i was supposed to be right you know uh, especially I- doing a job that wasn't approved by her husband that involved breaking, you know, Muslim law of, you know, seeing a, a, another man who is not your husband, um, you know, naked, uh, granted, you know, that's not clear completely, but at the same time, this wasn't a condoned job. 
and she no. was not specifically allowed to do this. But at the same time, my goodness, that is a ridiculous excuse uh, to pass the buck to somebody else, this poor guy who, you know, at the end of the day, you tied up his disabled father to a bed, locked him in a house, and then left, and you are complaining that he was not, you know, in the right to kick you out of his fucking house? Yeah. My goodness. I, I know. Um, ugh. At the end of the day, I think we could both agree, no matter what, her, her lie about the situation was selfish uh, in nature. Yep. She wasn't trying to help anything. Um, and then it, she only tells the truth to everybody when she is forced to, when she is requested to swear upon the, her truth on the Quran and can't, which to me just sums up fucking a lot of, a lot of religion 100%. right there for it. Is that, oh no, the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't have a problem lying when it was convenient. It's oh, getting pretty inconvenient. Oh, man. Oh, my religion's only for me, though. Oh, yes. that was annoying. Um, yeah, I think, I think she's pretty awesome. far and away. And, like, even because I was talking to Cal about this, because, like, you know, she's like, oh, but, um, she had to go clean up the the mess that her daughter made on the stairs. And it's like, yeah, but she also made her like four to six year old daughter take out the trash. The fuck did she like every decision she made was to her detriment and she made every decision of her own free will. Um, right. She sucked. So anyway, and uh, she was only there because her husband got arrested. Cause it, for uh, not paying their debts. I, I, I know. Oh my God. So actually, let's let's go to her husband next. Why do you think he's a bad guy? Oh, just a uber, um, aggressive, no control over his decisions and his excuses. Well, I'm hot tempered. It's like, well, you're a piece of shit, actually. Um, and just like you're stalking an eleven year old girl outside of her school because. Her father won't pay you for, you know, what you deem is blood money and murder, which even then, in any other third world, that would be a topic of debate of, is this murder in the first place? Not, oh, did this accident, you know, like this wouldn't be a case in the United States. As awful as our judicial system is, this just wouldn't be a situation anyone would find themselves in um yeah i i don't i don't have anything like wildly specific about why the, i really just don't like this guy but i don't really think there's a whole lot that you need to specify after everything he had done you know yeah he um he's definitely oof uh I, I, I want to like cut slack to him into a certain extent and then also double down that he is a bad person. Um, I want to cut slack for him a little bit because there's definitely a mental health angle there. You know, he's got prescribed medication and everything for it. And I want to cut slack to him a little bit 
and that given his information, I would be mad too. Um, granted, all of his information was lies. I would be mad too if those were the lies that had been told to me. To double down on his do get that, that yeah. shit insanity, um, yeah, he showed up to uh, this girl's school to confront her in the street and yell at her teacher. Oh my god. Um, I, the, the money stuff is tough because unemployment is tough and the, some of this I'm not sure if maybe um, being as wild of a dude as he is and as defensive over the situation as he is might partially be cultural but I think there's no way in looking at what he ends up ultimately doing again in, especially like you said the scene where he goes to the girl's school as being anything other than nuts i mean just nuts so yeah I, I i go bad guy there um i guess we'll keep it with the adults tell me about uh simin the mom Ooh, character the mom okay thank yeah. you yeah um i have very mixed feelings on her i don't think she's a great mom i don't <laughs> think she's a great wife at the same time i don't think her overarching morals and the decisions she makes later on in the film when it comes to sticking around like there are things she does that i could agree with overall though it's like i just like this is like this is the choices you're making like this is it i just it's not great um but yeah i have very very mixed feelings on her I think you really nailed like exactly what I was going to say. Um, yeah, she kind of sucks in terms of like, I don't think at any point is she wrong in anything she necessarily says or does, but she is definitely simultaneously the world's least sympathetic person while doing it. Right. Is, is she wrong for saying that leaving Iran um, is best for the future of our daughter, especially because we're talking about a daughter and not a son. Yeah, she's totally right about that. I mean, it, you're living in a in a, a nation that is largely controlled by a religious population, where the religious population likes to suppress women. Like, yeah, you're prob you're probably right. Um, mm -hmm. Are you wrong that this guy's dad doesn't even register the fact that you're his son? No, you're super evil for saying that, but you're not necessarily <laughs> wrong. Um, she, like, like, are you are you wrong? Like, well, I don't want to put it that way, but you give your husband an ultimatum of divorce if you do not leave the country and his family behind. Well, you know, his father behind to give their daughter a better life. I get wanting to give your daughter a better life. I don't get how that is your solution. Yeah the the only gap there really is an information that makes this kind of tricky is how they because one of the early parts of information you get in this film is that they uh spent a lot of time and energy getting like the necessary papers that would allow them to leave the country and they expire within 40 days of the beginning of this film so there's a time sensitive aspect of this um which is why it's like um I, I I think it's there to counter the whole just leave after dad dies or some shit like that. Um, Did they say but, that clearly? I don't remember hearing that. Yeah. The 40 day. When was that? Like right in the beginning of the movie. That's shitty. 
It doesn't matter. Um, because that's I'm the thing. I'm more upset that I missed it. You know. I uh, well, <laughs> being disappointed in yourself is something I will always understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but at the that same, one hurts at, me a lot. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, at the same time, though, your daughter is thirteen, as uh, is eleven. Sorry. Also, side note. Um, actually, I think she might be ten. Uh, but that is. 100% like a 15-year-old girl playing a 10-year-old. And boy, howdy, is it strange. Because um, yeah. she, like, as big of a gap as we think between, like, seeing 25-year-old 25-year-old actors playing um, seniors in high school, it is uh-huh. even more bizarre seeing what is definitely a teenager playing a 10-year-old. Yeah. Um, any, anyway, that's an aside. Um, uh, I saw a post today of the guy in Greece who's like 40 playing an 18-year-old. I forget the guy's name. He's not anything famous, but it's like, wow, like that is not even remotely close. Like He could be believable for the parent of a high school student. <laughs> I saw that too, and it was uncomfortable. Um, a- anyway, it's... <sighs> I... I, I... She's not wrong. At the same time, I would say it seems like they got a pretty okay life for now. And as long as you can get out of there within the next eight years so your daughter can go somewhere, uh, go to school somewhere else, maybe you'll be okay. I mean, at the same time, I get not wanting to gamble on that. So Mm -hmm. she's right all over the place. She was right when she was like, hey, you should just pay this money and move on. Um, I'm not saying that the husband was wrong for disagreeing and wanting to go with his morals, but in terms of just saying, let's or put not, all this behind us. Like, we're not admitting guilt for something he doesn't believe he committed. Right. Um, yeah. But again, she's still the asshole. But yeah, but... Uh, um, Alright, so then I guess that, that brings us to, to the last one. Unless, I don't know, did you think uh, the daughter, Terma, do you think she was a dick at all? Uh, do I think an eleven-year-old child who is living in a house with her grandfather with Alzheimer's, her father accused of murder, who is also divorcing her mother because she wants to abandon the country that they grew up in, uh, while also, you know, clearly heavily committed to furthering her education, is committed to studying all the time during this murder investigation in her house uh no i i I don't think you can really hold anything she does in the film against her (laughs) excellent then we will go to the final character the man who who i do want to say i I have one more thing to say about her she was throughout the entire movie so against her father lying and is so scared that her father is lying and is clearly always trying to get him to you know she's always concerned about the fact that he lied and what he knew and, you know, she's always trying to like get that comforting response from her dad. Like, no, of course not. Of course not. And then the second judge uh, or whatever the position that a government official has is like, yeah. So uh, did this uh, event that you clearly weren't a part of and didn't do that your father said you did that true? Oh yeah, totally. That's all all correct. Yep, that's on me. Ride or die. She is ride or die. All love for her. that. Yep. <laughs> Lo- love to see it. Um all right, so then again that that brings us to the the character with um I don't have the numbers, but I would assume the vast majority of the screen time here. Uh mm-hmm. Nadir, what 
is your take on Nadir? The dad. I wanted to like him, and I did like him a lot for the first like 75-80% of the film. And then he just kept lying and lying and lying to get himself out of prison time, which by all means, I can't really get on him too hard for, because again, prison in Iran cannot be the best experience. Abandoning your disabled father with Alzheimer's can't be something you can be comfortable with. And not knowing where your daughter is going to sleep at night when you have to go to prison for one to three years cannot be something you can just easily accept. Again, it's it's hard to just give him a pass because so much of this is like, wow, like what you're doing is not great. At the same time, I get it. I get why he's doing everything he does. And I still like him at the end of the film, and I'm rooting for him because he does seem like a genuinely good person. But he's not the the moral compass that we kind of expect him to be from the beginning of the movie. Uh, I I also think he's he's a flawed character. I don't think it's for that reason for me, though, only because there was so much deception going on from the other end. If he was as forthright as he could be, he's right. He would be like in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause his daughter asked him at one point in the film, like, uh, why didn't you just tell the truth about knowing that Raja was, was pregnant. And he was like, because then like, I'd be in jail for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is right. Um, <laughs> like, I think, he, I think the reason I, that does bother me just to cut you off completely for a sec is because he, it wasn't just on him. If he was the only one lying and everything came back to him, that's fine. But he was getting his neighbors to lie. He was getting the tutor to fib. He got his daughter Wait, to fib. Wait, really? The neighbors I don't know lied? specifically about the tutor. I mean, the, but he. What do you mean? What'd you ask? Wait, yeah, I'm, I'm confused. How, did, how do you. Why do you think the neighbors lied? Well, because when he said he went up to talk to the neighbors to, you know, make sure they were beware, I I think the translation should have been like, be aware that the investigation was coming, but beware, you know, the people coming for an investigation. And the daughter was like, why, if they're going to tell the truth, why would they have to beware anything? Why not just let them tell the truth when the time comes? And he's just like, I don't want to answer that question. Um, that's what it came off to me as I did say to Tudor, I don't think he was able to do that beforehand, but he did contact her to get her to come in and she did lie in her testimony that she had to change. No. Um, oh, so the testimony, that part, he called her cause he wanted to get the number of the doctor that Najer had gone to. And when, she, when he did that, the 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 teacher realized that he did overhear their conversation even oh. when she didn't think that he had and so that's why she recanted her testimony because she was like oh shit i'm wrong if he knows that i gave her a phone number for a doctor that means that he heard the whole conversation it's the same line of questioning that the daughter used i get it okay all right that makes more sense but and he then- did also forcibly put his daughter in a position to lie yeah, yeah. In front of a judge as an eleven-year-old minor. Yeah. 
the neighbor's one is really interesting because before the daughter questioned it, I was like, yeah, I'd probably go tell my neighbors that the cops were coming around too. Um, it he it definitely does make him look guilty, but that's also like part of the whole theme of the movie is that like what being done is an expression of guilt versus how you would act in that situation, you know? Um, because if I thought the cops were coming around and I'm just like cool with my neighbors, I'd be like, hey, just want to let you know so you don't freak out. Especially because this is like the Iranian police. I'm sure sketchy shit happens. Um, just so you know, Fair. cops are coming by tomorrow. But at the same time, because they don't show it to you, which is great. I love the fact they don't show it to you. It leaves mm-hmm. a lot of room for doubt, which is just oh, so good. Um, which, uh, which may come into effect when we discuss our next movie. <laughs> doubt. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm very conflicted on him because I think his problem is his devotion to a fault his morals like he is right he should not abandon his 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 father he is right he did not um commit any act that would have led to the um uh what's the word i'm looking for um murder miscarriage sorry miscarriage um he is right he is not forcing his wife to divorce him, yada, yada, yada. But he stands by those opinions, assertions, and beliefs so strongly that life starts wearing down in front of him. Like, you're right. You shouldn't abandon your dad. At the same time, it might behoove you to look towards the future at your daughter. And I understand wanting to give as comfortable a life to your father as possible, but if this is your one and only chance to move on, as uncomfortable and awful as it might be, do your best to find your dad the most comfortable place you can afford, whether that's state care or the cheapest private care in, in, in the nation. Uh, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you truly can't bring him with you, and get the fuck out of a very bad country. I mean, to be fair as well, as far as looking out for the best interests of his daughter, he wanted her to stay where she was because she was getting a good education and he didn't want to interrupt that uh process and that you know whole situation there he wanted her to continue with her tutor continue on with what she was learning everything involved there he just thought that was better for her than leaving the country and going somewhere else oh i completely and that's one of the other things i think it makes this movie so good is that like everyone's opinion is perfectly defensible um Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same thing, like, he's not wrong for telling his wife that she can go without him if she truly wants to, but at the same time, as a loving and devoted husband, shouldn't you be fighting for your wife to, like, want to stay and just t- instead of just telling her, you're your own person, go do whatever the fuck you want? That's what the, one of the things the wife says. She's like, I want him to fight for me. I want him to tell me to be here. And I understand we don't want everything to be a fight about who wants what and, oh, baby, please stay. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah you should also be an active participant in keeping your wife around. You should consider taking the easy way out with getting this murder case put behind you so that everyone's life can go on. He's right about everything he's doing, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's right to hold on to all those things to the degree that he does. And the lack for that gray area with him, I think 
is what his biggest character downfall is because on the surface he's never truly wrong outside of when he lies which even then he's lying for a, a relatively justifiable reason um in right. most cases but he just like he's got tunnel vision with his morals it's it's a it's such a, a um oh what's the word i'm looking for um damn it was on the tip of my fucking tongue it it's a really <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> i'm dying um it's it, it's it's just an interesting spot for him to have to be in like not wrong but also kind of wrong right I don't know. and whew, i i immediately forgot what i was going to say so let's just move on and hope i figure it out all right, well, let's uh, let's do ratings and reviews so we can hop on to our next film. Um, oh my God, it's been forty five minutes. Jesus, <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, wow. Uh, God damn. Uh, I forget. It's my movie. Do I go first or second? Uh, go first. Okay. Um, I I am hard pressed to think of a person who wouldn't be interested in watching this movie. It it really, um, I think is such a complete watch. It moves quickly. Um, and if you're not into the whole emotional depth thing, depth thing, you do not have to be. There's plenty of good and interesting plot to keep you moving. If you are um, not so much into drama pieces, it's got a lot of thriller and whodunit aspects to it. If you are into all the things that I previously mentioned, perfect. It's got all those fucking things too. This feels like such a complete movie, top to bottom. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna end up going back to back five star reviews uh, or, or ratings with with my picks. Wow. I think this is. I think it's just so perfectly done. It it is captivating in every way you would want it to be. I don't know what more you could ask for for, for from this. I'm 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 gonna stop talking, and this is the end of my sentence. Well, I'll tell you what they could do. They could speak American in it, so I don't have to read those one-inch subtitles. You know, you know how many calories it burns to move my eyeballs. Uh, um, you know, as as much as I hate people that don't watch foreign language films because they can't get over that one-inch barrier at the top of the screen, um, it does affect how well I can take in that information and what I'm seeing on the screen. Uh, the first time I watch a film, like you don't get all of the little intricacies of the acting, the, the uh, composition of all the shots, uh, because you do have to, to read. And, and, you know, when you listen to audible dialogue in a language, you know, well, you don't have to put all that focus on, you know, comprehending what the, the subtitles are saying, what they mean, the tone in their voice. And, it's one package versus having to use several different senses at once. So it's just easier to take everything in. Um, that being said, I still think there's a phenomenal movie uh, that just got better and better and better throughout. Um, it, it just didn't have, you know, I, I talk about this every time we are in this level where it's four, four and a half, five. It just, it needs that X factor to put it over the top, that little, little creme de la creme. Um, while there isn't anything inherently wrong with the movie, I, I, I just, it didn't, it didn't have the X factor for me. So I'm going to give it a four. Um, again, it's one of those things where this is something that could easily 
rise up to a five if I watch this again and again and be able to take more out of the little things that I missed. Um, but for right now, I'm sticking with the four. Perfectly understandable. All right. Then let's head on in to uh, 2008's Doubt, written Confidence. and directed. Oh, sorry, Doubt. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, written and directed by John Pac- Patrick Shanley. He wrote the screenplay and the play play. Um, it is starring Meryl Streep, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams. It had an estimated budget of, oh, wait, I lost it. Oh, I found it. $20 million. My, my, that's what? all salary, baby. Yeah, I was going to say. All what? salary. <laughs> um, a cumulative worldwide gross of $51.7 million, which actually feels way lower because I remember when this movie came out and it felt like it was everywhere. Um, anyway. Its tagline is there is no evidence, there is there are no witnesses, but for one, there is no doubt. Um, it wow. was nominated for five Oscars, Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Meryl Streep, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Amy Adams, and Best Act- Performance in, by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Viola Davis, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for John Patrick Shanley. Uh, it is about a Catholic school principal who questions a priest's ambiguous relationship with a troubled young student. Corwin, this was your pick. What do you think of Doubt? Uh, I think this was one of the best acted films uh, I've ever seen. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is truly a generational talent. Meryl Street, obviously, is also a generational talent. Um, and Amy Adams is, you know, definitely come into her own the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, 2011 when this came out, which I thought was like three years ago, apparently. Um, she did a, I think she did an excellent job with the character and the role that she had. Um, just everyone involved, just this was beautifully, beautifully done. Um, I read the book many, many years ago, uh, the play, I should say, many years ago. Uh, and I loved it. Um, I will say, going into the going into the film, knowing already what the storyline is, definitely is beneficial to the comprehension of of what's going on, what's being intended, everything like that. Um, I, I, that being said, I think it's also beautifully written. I just love uh, how balanced this film is narratively uh, and the story that it tells. Uh, I just, this is fantastic. Uh, I, I love, love this film. Yeah, it's funny you pick out um, Amy Adams. Well, it's not like that wild because she's one of the three main actors in this <laughs> film. Uh, this is the first movie I ever watched where I was like, ah, oh, this is an Amy Adams picture. Or, or, or anyway, or that she is in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. So anytime I think of Amy Adams, I like weirdly come back to to this movie. Um, and anyway, yeah, this is so perfectly done for the um, tell don't show type of of film, in that it is all about trying to examine via limited 
like visuals of what is being discussed because of the dubious. So this movie takes place in the uh, late sixties, I would say, because it's post JFK assassination. Sixty something like that. Sounds about right. Um, and in Boston, even though they don't say it, Meryl Streep's accent is forceful. Um, <laughs> and it surrounds the idea of sixty-four. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. It's really sixty-four. Wow. Okay. So JFK assassination, um, right there, uh, one year prior. Anyway, right. It was sixty-three. He was assassinated. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of because they do say last year when John F. Kennedy was killed. That's I just uh, thought it was later in the uh, decade. Missed that. Uh, missed that. Uh, that that yeah, comment. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about the idea that a priest is having uh is butt fucking a kid. I mean. You know, th- th- this is one of the things the Catholic Church has become known for, especially over the last 20 years, is priests diddling kids. Um, and just because it's been put on the forefront in the past 20 years does not mean that these relationships are anything new. Um, they are, as we would call, systemic. And mm-hmm. the fact that they are um, often scrutinized going back to the 60s might be a touch surprising that anyone would have cared back then because white men in religion don't seem to have any consequences for their actions. Um, but here we have a case entirely surrounding that. And because it's not like, you know, uh, you're not going to see a priest making out with the kid in a hallway. Um, it's all going to be hush, hush behind closed doors. Uh, Meryl Streep is trying to do I would say her best to protect the kids in her own way while having to extrapolate a lot of information and very serious information at that. And given the nature of their professions, the, the, the priesthood and the Catholic church, um, there's a lot of bias around there that makes any type of perceived um, relationship with a student, especially uh, young students, extra scrutinized because, well, there's plenty of history to show that this is exactly what they would do. Um, I guess, let, let, do you want to do it character by character? Do you want to go along with the plot? Because the, the plot basically just follows along what we just talked about. It, it is it is about Meryl Streep deciding or trying to prove whether or not Philip Seymour Hoffman fucked that kid. Um, I think we should do the plot just because the order of events, I feel, is very important because of the lack of initial evidence. Okay. I'm game. Uh, all right. Where to, where to start with this? Um, oh, actually, so I just looked up the, 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 the film. It's supposed to take place in the Bronx. I didn't read that what? at all. Yeah. Meryl That's Streep's accent. Right. No, Meryl Streep's as, as a man with family directly from the Bronx, Meryl Streep's accent is like crazy Boston. Yeah, I've never taken this to be Boston in any like any time I've seen this. Granted, this is the only time I've seen this, but like reading the book, I always got Boston. Yeah, the Bronx, because that makes well, hold on, that makes it even more bizarre that there's one black kid at a Catholic church in the Bronx. Yeah, what the fuck, guys? Who who directed this movie? Uh... Anyway, um, so it starts off with with Philip Seymour Hoffman giving a sermon about the nature of doubt. And, you know, 
it very much so tone setting and name dropping the beginning of the title of the film and whatnot. Um, and later on, or, or, or right after that, um, Amy Adams's character receives a request for uh, one of her students, the, the, the only black kid in the school, to go meet with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the rectory, um, which, what really the is a rectory? rectory. <laughs> yeah, right? It even sounds uh, dirty. I've oh, always assumed it was like the, the meditation, like spiritual office type things. It I also the, go to church a lot, so I don't really know. It is the residence of the priest. Oh. That makes it much worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, woof. Um anyway, so the our our black student Donald returns to class. He is upset. Um Amy Adams smells wine on his breath and um later right at, right after that, she goes out into the hallway to see Father Flynn, um Philip Seymour Hoffman putting an undershirt in uh that student's locker and then she goes off to go tell Meryl Streep about it since this all seems odd. And, well, she certainly is right. That is certainly all odd. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that that those actions in their own merit would suggest that there is... I don't want to say something as clear as, you know, child molestation but there is something going on regardless like that's you see that that is you know obviously the first thing your mind jumps to but regardless there's something happening it's not unfounded evidence no it is it is directly suggestive especially again given the backdrop being a catholic school priests and nuns uh abundant um very much so which he, you're getting from it exactly what the film is intending you to get from it, which is that some shady shit went down. So after that, um, Meryl Streep confronts Philip Seymour Hoffman about it, um, along with uh, uh, Amy Adams. And, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's like mad. He's like, I didn't do anything. And um, he, he said that he, he caught uh, this student, Donald, drinking the wine and, and that um, he was dismissing him as an altar boy and that like he didn't give him the wine and you know he, now he can't be an altar boy anymore. Um, and Amy Adams believes him and Meryl Streep doesn't. And she asked him about the shirt and she said that Donald had left it in uh, and again, I'm looking here at the sacristy. Don't know what that is. And that he put it in his locker to save him some embarrassment. Um, and the this is an interesting scene because of the nature of how you would expect to disagree with these accusations. Because the natural reaction, I think, if someone was to say, did you fuck that kid is for you to be flustered, mad, upset, all those things. If you didn't do it and the same problem, the same thing though, by the same, you know, by the flip of the coin here, overemphasizing your, your innocence also makes you look guilty. And that's, I Absolutely. think that that's like the big 
this ends up being a big part of of what hang on watching this film is like is he up in arms in denial because he is so upset that these disgusting things would be lobbed in his direction or is he really trying to put on a show about oh it can't be possible i'm just trying to help this kid um because he did sexually assault this kid in 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 uh the rectory which again sounds so sexual right um, like that's that's a tough name of a residence to stick with not only this story but the actual accusations of the catholic church like that's er, it's a tough name but yeah. it it really is you know a back and forth of what is um you know the evidence that's portrayed and the reactions and that's all the evidence Meryl Streep has to base her opinions off of. But at the same time, you, the viewer, also only have that information. And it's fair to assume most people watching this for the first time, that's exactly the reaction you're going to have as well. Um, it, it's, that's the beauty and you know why I love this film specifically so much. Uh, it's just they provide you with the information that the characters have, nothing more, and you're left to base your opinions off of that. And it's it's a fairly even split between, okay, there's evidence supporting he's done nothing wrong and he has a fair argument, but at the same time, his reactions to accusations his actions that he's done with Donald and uh, the reaction of, uh, I believe his name is London. I don't want to say Jack London because I feel like that is a classical writer, but there is more to it, obviously, than just Donald Miller. And it's very conflicting because as confident as you can be with one aspect of this, one side of the story, it goes back and casts so much doubt in your choice and your opinion. And I will say again, the effectiveness of this backdrop, because even, you know, as while watching this, even when I want to like give um, the, the benefit, I hate saying the word doubt during this discussion. Um, it's just, yeah. You can't avoid it. Even when I want to give the benefit of the doubt to, to Philip Seymour Hoffman, I can't help, but look at those priest robes and go, no, like you fuck that kid. Like, like, the clothes you are wearing are the clothes of like pedophiles ink. Like you're wearing the uniform. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, it it really makes and especially and it's also also with the seriousness of the accusation. Like if if if, he, if Meryl Streep was like Philip Seymour Hoffman, you 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 stole a candy bar, and he was like, I didn't steal a candy bar. I would probably be, and like if I have felt the need to not disbelieve him, I go, yeah, all right, he didn't steal a candy bar because the stakes of you being wrong are so fucking low. The stakes of you being wrong are like two fifty, or back in nineteen sixty four, like thirty five cents. The quote the league. Everyone steals a candy bar. I stole a Kit Kat last week. The trick is you keep it small. <laughs> exactly. Nobody cares. Thanks, Rustbin. Uh, <laughs> it's Rustbin. <laughs> Nobody calls um, me Robbie. And. But the problem here is that if the stakes of you being wrong about saying, no, Philip Seymour Hoffman did not ha- sexually assault that kid, is that there is a, 
a not only a kid who may well now be a repeated target of sexual assault, there's also now a sexual assaulter out mm-hmm. there targeting kids in a position where he works with kids. Like, right. So it makes it challenging in the way that it is supposed to be. Um, so after that leads to what is one of the most interesting scenes of the movie. Um, in, well, very well being shown by the fact that Viola Davis got nominated for an Oscar based on the strength of this one scene. Um, it's a long scene, but still, my God. Um, Meryl Streep meets with Donald's mother, who is played by oh, Viola Davis. And let me tell you, I forgot she was in this because I haven't seen this movie in so long. And when mm-hmm. I saw her on screen, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be devastating. She, <laughs> yeah. is, she is perfect. Viola Davis. Oh, God, I love her so much. Anyway. Um, and they have a conversation about what Meryl Streep thinks and she kind of dances around it a little bit but then the blunter side of her comes out and they start having a relatively more frank conversation about it although still you know hiding behind some of the terminology and it viola davis is very for the most part unfazed by Mm -hmm. by by all of it she she basically just says like uh yeah like you know if my kid has to keep getting fucked it'll only be until june and there's snow on the ground. So first off, that's a long time away. Um, and and second of all, that's why uh, it's been six months. So it's either right after Christmas or early January. Right. Um, and she is. And you 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 get more glimpses into their lives. Uh, her husband is. Uh, I think physically. I, I think she said she hit him because he might be because he thought her son might be gay. Um, right. And you know, like she, she thinks that she thinks the boy might be gay, and you know, she doesn't want to have these accusations become public due to fear of how her husband might might react um, by blaming the boy. Um, and then also, you add on the fact that this is going to make their lives infinitely more difficult due to the racial aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget it's 1964. Um, this Voting Rights Act hasn't even been passed yet. Um, I think the Civil Rights Act might have just been passed that year. Like, it's bad. Um, Right. So... As as much as I am just gutted by the reaction of his mother and and the conversation they have, they both have merits for what they're standing for in that argument. You know, it it shows the desperation in Mrs. Miller for her child to survive and get through the year and be given the same opportunities as any other child. Being a gay black child in a wildly racist, 19, I wrote 1960s Boston. Apparently, it's Brooklyn. Uh, the Bronx. They're, they're already, oh, the Bronx, you're right. Uh, they're so far behind. And at the same time, Sister Eloise is fighting for the moral high ground of there's a priest molesting kids in this parish. And my God, he needs to be stopped. And they need to come forward in order to do that. But at the same time, like she can't see the consequences of what would happen to the child if that were to occur. And it's it's really tough because, you know, Sister Eloise is fighting herself and she's fighting that nature of hers that she always has to be right. 
it, it's, it's a hard situation for everyone involved. And yeah. while I can't say both are right because it's not about being right. It is a child being raped or molested, however you want to word it. Um, it's still devastating. It's Th- it's awful. This is definitely the the heaviest I think of all the scenes in terms of um, the plot, as well as the underlying s- circumstances that that are leading to this conversation going the way it is. Um, because one of the other things it's meant to, to show is that, like, you know, we can sit there, we can sit, you know, in our seats and, and front on our high horses and go, why would a mother let this happen? She should simply change schools and move or whatever. Right. Completely disregarding the socioeconomic and racial conditions that this woman is living under. And the fact that she, if you put it in cold terms and say that she is willing to uh, bear with short term losses for long term gains. You go, of course, that's what anybody would do. Short-term losses for long-term gains every day, especially mm-hmm. if you have a kid this age. The problem is the circumstances are reprehensible. But having alternatives is having luxury, and she doesn't have that luxury. Exactly. And Aloysius can't possibly understand why a mother would do this, but that's also the difference between her whiteness and this this mother's blackness. Like, it's... It's a big difference. It's a mm-hmm. huge difference. And it is disgusting, the circumstances that this difference is being shown in, but that's where it's coming up. Mm-hmm. It's a wild scene um, that really makes you, you know, you understand, but doesn't make you feel any better. Right. Like, I agree. This, this is definitely one of the more impactful and heavy scenes that are throughout the film. Like, there's a lot there like there's a lot throughout this entire film that is heavy-handed and difficult to deal with but i think of all of them this is definitely up there as a clear argument for what could be number one yeah i mean my oh my god so after that um what's your fucking name meryl streep goes and tells uh she is you know undeterred in her belief that Philip Seymour Hoffman is assaulting this kid. And she so she goes and tells him that he has to resign. He mm-hmm. and they get do huh? I was just saying, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry about that. Um and that's okay. I usually cut you off like I just did. <laughs> and this leads to what I would say is the most heated scene of, of the film. The last one being the most, I think, you know, weighty scene of the film. This is by far the most heated. And they go back and forth with a lot of religious talk about, you know, he's like, have you never committed a mortal sin? And she said that, um, you know, she has, I'm not going to get into that. She eventually, though, tells him that she had contacted a nun from, from his, his last church um, who made note of his previous exit. And he was like, yeah, you can't do that. You're supposed to talk to the, to the priest. And she was like, well, I talked to a nun. He was like, there's an order to this. You don't just go around calling other people's nuns. You don't have any right. I have, you know, basically saying I have a right to privacy. You can't just dig into my past like that. And she was like, well, I talked to the nun anyway. So fucking figure that shit out, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and is, then, sorry, this is just, like, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and just to wrap it up, um, he eventually acquiesces into requesting a transfer um, to a different parish. But sorry, go ahead. What were we going to say? This is like 30 minutes after 
Sister Eloise just, uh, you know, confronts uh, Sister James about how there is an order, there is a, uh, you know, level in which you go through the church. You know, she is the head nun. I don't know what the term for that is. You go through her. You don't, you know, do this, do that. And when it benefits her, she is okay breaking that rule. And the and that, that makes it, that you bring up with, with that terminology, I think one of the toughest parts about this film is that it's, it doesn't benefit her. It benefits she, her ego. Well, I, it, it benefits her narrative for sure. Um, and her conviction. But the backdrop of this is her, in theory, looking out for the kid. And that's the thing, as reprehensible as she is, and we can, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the, uh, you know, right and wrong about the facts in a moment. Um, it does seem as though she's doing these things for the right reason, which makes it tough to be, it makes it tough in some respects to be hard on her because she is doing this under the guise of protecting a child, which you would agree she should be harsh about. But again, without having all the facts to make a full and full fledged judgment, um, something that you could like literally, you know, convict on, um, it's it seems inappropriate. But again, for the right reason, like it's mm -hmm. a lot of gray area. And guess what? It cast out in their eventual opinions, in their eventual reasonings, everything involved. There's so much doubt. Um, it's a very aptly named movie. It it truly is. And I, um, I do love how connected the entirety of the film is to the specific um, the sermons that Father Flynn gives. Everything comes back to those direct uh, conversations he has with the church. The it's it's not something where you know the meaning and the narrative is hidden uh, and it's veiled. It's, it's all right there. Um, and it doesn't come down to your interpretation. It comes down to your beliefs on it and how you believe the information on hand. Um, yeah. So just to I guess, cl close out the, the plot part, he does give one more sermon. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, before, you know, saying that he was going to leave. And then it ends with um, Meryl Streep sitting on a bench. Uh, Amy Adams comes up to her. They chit-chat for a little bit. And then they start talking about the the um, it's not like a case, you know, it's uh, accusations. The, mm -hmm. the, the, the small in-house trial um, and eventually, uh, Meryl Streep breaks down and like starts shouting through tears about how she has doubts. I have such doubts. Um, I, and it's, it's a very ambiguous ending. And I want to, uh, after uh, in a little bit, loop back to whether or not 
what do you think about whether or not Philip Seymour Hoffman did these things? But just because we're on the ending, it's a very ambiguous ending because I don't know what she means because I don't know if she means she has doubts about forcing out Philip Seymour Hoffman or if she has doubts that her ends justified uh, the, uh, the means or if she has doubts about religion. And guess what? That's meant to give you more doubt. I think, literally, I think she does have doubts about her opinions um, on whether or not Father Flynn is guilty. Uh, I think that's the you know direct reaction to that. But at the same time, I think the inevitable consequences of this result in further doubts about the church and its structure and everything involved as a whole. Um, you know, it, it all comes to a boiling point and you can see it in that breakdown. Um, and I think that's why I love Meryl Streep in this so much because it, it, it truly is, you know, such a well done performance. Oh God, she's perfect. She is. I mean, all, everyone who has a major speaking role in this movie is perfect. Uh. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams, Viola Davis. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the I guess the 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 facts of the case. What do you think about whether or not Philip Seymour Hoffman did anything untoward? I think he did it. I think both his reactions, the way he handles the situation as a whole, the evidence on hand, I think it all points towards his guilt. Um, you know, that being said, of course, the evidence is circumstantial. There is no confession. You know, Meryl Streep says, oh, his his reaction was his confession that, you know, contrary to popular belief, that is not standing in a legal court. Uh, and will not be respected. Um, but I, I think he did it. I think there's enough shown throughout the film with both the reactions of the other boys involved and Father Flynn himself uh, that points towards him doing it. <sighs> I... I'm going to make the case for and against um his innocence for his innocence to start um okay. he definitely seems to care a lot about the kids and in a vacuum so. you know that's good mm-hmm. again caring to certain extents can certainly have perceptions of wrongdoing especially in with this type of accusation but he definitely really seems to care about the kids and there's moments strewn throughout the film that really show his concern like a little girl comes up to him and she says i think i love uh i was named danny or whatever and he goes well honey you should you or not honey but she says you know well you should maybe go tell him that uh and she runs off like i will um and he seems to be instilling the right types of ideas into the uh young guys heads you know and he's like you know you have every right to ask a girl to dance she has every right to say no and you got to respect that um yeah. 
And those things all seem right. And he justifies his um, closeness with uh, Donald by saying, like, this is the only black kid in the school. Like, he is going to have a hard time. Um, he is going to be picked on. He is going to struggle. And I want to show him that he can be okay and give him a, a, a comforting feeling when he's in this building. And that also makes a lot of sense. Um, the idea that he walked in on Donald drinking the wine is a bit odd because I can't imagine that he had much window to do that, especially when he was invited in to the rectory instead of like Father Flynn walking into the rectory and seeing him already there. But um, he de he seems to care. He seems to. Uh, I guess that's really all I really had to say with that. But in terms, of, and then in terms of the the prior parish being contacted, if there's any number of reasons he could have been fired or could have left, um, that are embarrassing: mm -hmm. alcoholism, any type of drug use, um, sure, sleeping with a woman, <sighs> and then I know. They they won't forgive that, but they'll forgive forgive other things. Um, that would lead him to being upset, and his whole thing was asking why she wanted why she what they talked about would make some some sense. Like there's other reason to be embarrassed. Um, and signing over to transfer parishes also not necessarily an admission of guilt. He clearly sees that this is a hostile workplace for him, and that he will never really be able to move on from anything so long as this conflict uh, mm -hmm. hangs in the balance um him leaving parishes before his name gets dragged through the mud makes a lot of sense it's it, it's far easier for him to acquiesce and move on than it is for him to stay dig his heels in and become the pastor who may or may not have diddled that kid um so it, it also yeah gosh you died I did? Corwin. Cor Oh Corwin? Oh, yep. Yep, I hear you. Alright. Um You just made off like mid word completely. What word was it? I don't remember. Alright, let's give a brief pause and then I'll hop back in. It, it it wasn't it was like right when I started talking. Alright. Um so the idea that he would acquiesce to, you know leave and just start somewhere else without having to deal with this uh, versus stay and have to, you know, become the, the guy who may or may not have, you know, had a, a sexually assaulted a kid um, mm -hmm. also makes sense for him when transferring parishes, I would think would be pretty easy. The case against, again, a close relationship to a child is an odd thing to have to scrutinize because of how close the line is between being a supportive adult figure and like, what's the word I'm looking for? Being attracted or, or anything like that. And the fact that there is seemingly an amount of secrecy and there's an amount of confusion with, with the wine aspect of it. And he seems uh, you know, he is very defensive at a bunch of points. And again, like we said, being defensive can 
be a sign of anger as well as uh, guilt, but you do, the stakes are high with this accusation, and being wrong could be devastating. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I, I, I wouldn't want to stand up there and have to be a lawyer on the side of he's guilty because there is literally no proof. And unless someone comes out and says something, you're never going to know. And it, it's, it's not like they found a used condom in the rectory. Um, it's, it's, it's not like, and Maybe on the Miller's rectory. <laughs> and this is going to sound like a joke and I'm sorry, but it's not like Donald had a hard time sitting down when he came back. Like there's not, there's, there's not like a lot there. But again, right. at the same the time, is only circumstantial. Exactly, and again, at the same time, this is serious shit. Mm-hmm. And having it be a question might just be enough for you to say we need a new priest. Yeah, but again, you know, obviously this was not known at the time, and obviously not something anyone involved could know. You know, possibly outside Father Flynn. This was how they kept the um, just the vast amount of these accusations and this conduct under wraps was they would move these priests from parish to parish the second these kind of accusations started coming in because it kept them from being, uh, you know, supported. They'd move them around, start them off somewhere new, and it would be difficult for the people involved to lock down this investigation and find the evidence they would need to convict. There's a lot in favor of both sides, obviously. You know, like, that's why I love this so much. There is no clear-cut answer to the question. Um, And that's why I think this is so well done, so well written, so well acted. Because there is no tipping point that is reached. Everything is suggested, but there's nothing clearly pointing one way or the other. Um, And that's what makes the situation so difficult. Yeah. It, again, I would hate to be a lawyer, but if I was a member of the community, and again, no one of, of the community knows about this outside of Viola Davis. Um, or whatever her character's name, not literal, actual Viola Davis. But um, I would say... Fun film. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would say if there is this doubt, we are better off just getting rid of this guy. Getting a different priest shouldn't be that big of an ordeal. Um, But at the same time, that just means he's going somewhere else where people aren't aware of what he may or may not be doing. Yeah, at the at the same time as that, though, that is a hundred percent what the Catholic Church would have done anyway before charges could be brought. Absolutely, because the Catholic Church is terrible. Yes, sir. And um, they don't pay taxes, and they should. <laughs> yeah, and they should. Um, if they can contribute to political campaigns, they can pay their goddamn taxes. Anyway, um. Different conversation for a different day. Very. Uh, all right. So this was your film. So why don't you go first with ratings and review? 
Okay, let me bring up my notes. Uh, just some little things before I go into it. The Dutch angle use in this is phenomenal. Perfect. It's, it's It was used so effectively, and the choice for when they used it uh, was fantastic. Um, the one shot where Father Flynn enters the church, he looks up at the eye of God, that uh, stained glass window, and it's looking back down on him, looking through the bars of the, the railing up the stairs. I thought that was a, a beautifully framed and you know, composition shot, composed shot. Um, the idea that we didn't touch on that the reason for Meryl Streep's, you know, accusations and moral conviction was due to the difference of opinions of the direction the church should be going. You know, Father Flynn's use of ballpoint pens, use of sugar in his tea, sitting down at her desk in her office, um, which I'm fully on board with, that's ridiculous. Uh, the openness to pagan ideas and songs in concurrence with church ideas and church events. Um, yeah, there's just, you know, the her quote of, I will decide what is important, the power that she holds and wishes to continue to hold in the church itself. Um, man, it's just, uh, it's very, very well done. You could see how uh, this originates from theater and stage acting, um, and I just love every second of it. I couldn't imagine any other pair of actors who could have been so beautifully who could have so beautifully portrayed these characters. Um, it's just, it's a perfect adaptation of the play that perfectly balances both sides of the struggle. This, uh, this, there needs to be a better word for it because of the, the consequences of it. Um, but the problem that is facing the characters in this, and it doesn't put one in a clearer light than the other and I think that's just so underappreciated. Uh, one of those difficult things that you can truly get right, you know, showing both sides with equal footing, where although one may be suggested over the other, there is no clear evidence giving that conviction. Um, and I, I really do think this was a perfectly directed, written, and acted film. And because of that, I'm giving it a five out of five. Right on. I uh, I do not disagree with anything. I'm going to go four and a half, I think. I don't. It is the intangible for me. But this is, oh, it's so well acted. It is a lot of acting, um, if you know what I mean. But mm -hmm. it's not the type of a lot of acting where it's like, you didn't need to... No, like it fits. It makes sense. It is. Uh, it is a lot of acting, but it's not kitschy. It's. It's not cringy. It's not awkward. It okay. is all very fitting and very poignant and very to the bone. And that's another thing. Just to just keep jerking off Viola Davis. It's another thing that makes her performance so amazing. Is that it works so well in contrast because she, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you will see yell a lot in this film as. Makes sense within this character. It, again, it's not bad. Um, and you will see Viola Davis be calm and quiet and reserved 
while no doubt having the most serious conversation in the film. Mm -hmm. um, it is a huge, I don't even want to say breath of fresh air because that makes it sound like a relief. It is, it is just such a damning and heartfelt moment in the film. It's just fucking perfect. I love her. Um, anyway, uh, it's a great movie. I don't know what it is that I'm holding back on that 5.0, um, but this is, I can't recommend it strongly enough. Um, it's, it's, it's just so well done. Just we so have well done. the exact same responses for the reasoning for both of these films. Yeah. This might be our highest combined week ever. Uh, it's up there. It's yeah. definitely up there. All right. Well, uh, I guess let's, let's get into next week's picks. Um, didn't pick one. Ah, you didn't pick one? No, I didn't pick one for the, yet. For the first time, ladies and gentlemen, Josh came in with a pick and Corbin didn't. Oh, my God. It only took um, between this podcast and the last one, like, Jesus, uh, 15, 25 weeks for that to happen. But, hey, um, it finally did. Want right, to pick, well, pick a number? Sure. I'll go 17. Okay. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, I just watched that the other day. I'm, all, all right. right. Pick a new number because that's right. a little... Yeah. I don't want to make you watch it twice in a row. I, you know. Four. Four. Ooh, okay. Ooh, Wall Street. Wow. All right. Some Gordon Gecko action up in here. Greed is good, folks. Apparently. Uh, all right. So that so 1987's Wall Street. I am going with uh, the new Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix. I've told myself I would watch for the last month and keep putting it off. Um, I'm thinking of ending things. That's Charlie Kaufman's new film on Netflix. Um, I have not seen it, but I'm going to warn everybody that if you've never seen a Charlie Kaufman film, I would expect this to be weird. Yeah, that's good for us. Yeah. All right. So we have 2020s. I'm thinking of ending things. 1987's Wall Street. Um, make sure you uh, watch those movies before next week or don't. Not my problem. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at uh, Big Screen Juice. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicing the numbers at no, damn it, juicing the big screen <laughs> at gmail.com. I knew I was going to do it too. Um, I almost did it with a Twitter handle. And uh, that's it for this week, folks. Until next week, uh, y'all have a good one. Bye.